Well, a little birdie told me that it's someone's special day today. So before I forget, um, Larry, Larry Boy Gerbrandt is turning eight, is eight years old today, I'm told. So I think he's hiding. Here you are, Larry. Hi, Larry. Happy birthday, Larry. So I just have to make sure that I remember that. So, so make sure you uh, wish him a happy birthday after church today. All right, well, let's just pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you for um, your word and the Psalms that teach us so much about what it means to pray with all of who we are, no matter what emotion is going through us. And uh, Lord, as we um, talk about joy, praise, uh, thanksgiving, Teach us just a little bit more of what that means, what that looks like in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I'm not sure about you, but, you know, sometimes I come across people who always seem happy. I I just heard the comment up here. Didn't someone say, I'm never sad. I thought, oh, there's my sermon right there. And I both love and I love the enthusiasm of these positive people, right? But I'm also a bit suspicious. Are they for real? Right? I have a high school friend, or I had a high school friend. She's still my friend. (laughs) And uh, she was like this. And uh, Monica, you know, she would always say, how's it going, Daniel? You know, I mean, she was just lovely to meet and greet at school. And she always talked with this, you know, joyful animation. You know how people, some people just talk with their hands. She's just completely animated, right, when she talks. And it was really lovely because she was just a bright ray of sunshine for your day. And, And a lot of us were going, how does she do this, right? Always positive. But like I say, I just got suspicious, you know? Is she for real? Does she ever have a serious moment in her life? Is she always so joyful? Well, I just happened to see Monica um, just over a month ago in Seattle because it was our high school class reunion. And uh, to no one's surprise, she was one of the organizers of the event And she actually personally encouraged me to come when I was a little bit hesitant about going. But that was Monica, right? She reached out, you know, you got to come, blah, blah, blah. And she always did it by joy, with joy. Now, just by chance, at the reunion, we were chatting a bit. And this whole topic about her enthusiastic spirit actually came up. It was really interesting. So I asked her, you know, just normal questions of... um, you know, getting to know her yet again because it's been 10 years since the last reunion. So I asked her, hey, Monica, are you still teaching elementary school? Because she's a school teacher. And uh, she says, of course, she says, again, with this animated spirit, I love my job. You know, and she's already been teaching for 25 plus years. She can get her pension and everything. She could just shut her down. But, oh, no, she's going to keep on teaching because I love to teach, Right. But then she did start to share with us how some people throughout her life 
have always questioned her sincerity. Isn't that interesting? The sincerity of her joy, you know? And so she's faced this before. And so, you know, the feelings I had, she kind of wanted to talk about this. And, you know, she said, you know, honestly, she says, it's always been genuine. That's just the way she is, you know? Now, I, I know her a little bit more throughout the years, and um, it's not like she's never faced problems in her life. In fact, she's faced a whack of problems. Six years ago, she battled a rare form of brain aneurysm. And when you hear that word, um, normally it's a killer, right? And she could have died or gone blind. But through a miracle surgery, um, she beat those odds. And then there was a post that she put on Facebook um, a few years back. And this is what she said. I thank God daily for his grace and for letting me live this crazy life on earth longer. Uh, To me, that kind of said it all about Monica, right? Just a very well-grounded person. And I thank God for people like her. So this brings up this whole topic of joy. And when we turn, up, turn to the Psalms, um, by far the most important theme is praise and joy and thanksgiving. I'm just kind of lumping all those words together. And it fills the book of Psalms, cover to cover. Praise is its theme. In fact, the Hebrew word for the word Psalms, Tehillim, means the book of praises. The book of praises. Now, um, if you remember, you know, we've been kind of starting on the dark side of the Psalms, right? The lament Psalms and anger. And, uh, and I've defended the place of a lament psalms because, of course, the psalms are psalm, often have psalms of a lament. And I've defended the place of lament psalms when we are sad, right? And uh, in a world full of negativity, we do need joy. We need joyful people and friends like my friend Monica. But the problem with positivity as simply a solution, right? Tell people to turn on the switch or put a happy day smile. Um, It fails to recognize the true human condition of our sadness sometimes. And so you can't force a happy day smile when someone is truly sad. So there is a place for lament psalms, as I've been talking about. It is important to be honest with God when you are sad. So now we go to the opposite side of the spectrum, right? To these psalms of joy. So what is the place of these psalms of joy, of praise in our life? That's what I want to talk about. First of all, the psalms move us from lament to joy. There is a direction. When you scan the Psalms from beginning to end, you will notice that the first half, generally speaking, is lament Psalms. 
One-third of the psalms are lament psalms, but they're kind of at the beginning. And then you will notice that there is this growing increase of praise psalms in the second half, especially beginning in the 90s. I'm not talking about 1990s. I'm talking about the 90s in the psalms, right? And forward, you'll notice that there's a distinct difference. Suddenly you get all these psalms of praise, and by the end, in Psalm 150, it's pure, unadulterated praise to God, right? Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness. And so it kind of reaches this incredible climax where God is simply praised for who he is and for what he's done. David O. Taylor says this, Psalm 1 starts at the beginning, shows us what it means to walk in the way of God's word for life. And Psalm 150 at the back end shows us the goal. The goal of walking in this way is unencumbered praise. I appreciate that. It's a goal. So in the Psalms, lament always hopes to grow to joy. Or as Alan David says, it does not forget where it came from. So I appreciate her wisdom. Praise, thanksgiving, and joy often rises out of suffering and disappointment. But it doesn't ignore suffering, right? It doesn't kick it under the bed and ignore it and not acknowledge it because it's real and it's there. Godly joy doesn't deny the reality of pain and suffering, but it always hopes for joy. Paul said in Romans 12, 12, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. It acknowledges all emotions, bringing it before God. Now, let's take a look at a few, uh, well, actually a couple shapes of psalms of praise. So let me get a little teachy here for a moment. But the first one is, um, the psalms of praise is a summons to praise followed by a reason. Okay, so in Psalm 47, 1 to 2, it begins with this call to praise. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. And then in verse 2, it gives the reason. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. Right? So basically, it's saying, praise God, and this is the reason why you should praise God. Right? This is who he is. So that's, that's the first shape of a praise song. Um, so, and the second pattern is what we call the because and then pattern. Uh, we find this in Psalm 27, 5 to 6. In the because, verses 5 to 6, it says, For in the day of trouble we will keep, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And then the second part is the then part, verse 6. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At a sacred tent I will sacrifice the shouts with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. 
So there's a different order here. So whether the psalmist begins his prayer with life's issues, which is Psalm number, the second psalm, right? Or if it begins right up with praise, the psalmist is always telling us something about God, right? Everything's focused on him. It's telling us about his character and what he has done. So in each psalm, we are invited to bear witness to God and yield ourselves to him. That's always in there, right? So we're focused upon God and his character, but then there's a summons, right? A calling. Yield yourself to him through praise, because this is who he is. We are invited to give testimony to God's character and also self-surrender so that we might fully give ourselves over to God in praise. So in other words, the psalmist invites us into this living relationship because of his grace, even in the mess of life that involves the adoration of God and also self-abandonment. But we will come back to that. The Psalms also assume that God is the ultimate source of joy. And of course, that's key, right? Psalm 1611, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 43.4, then I will go to the altar of the Lord, to God my joy and delight. You know, our relationship with God is not simply one of many sources of joy, but the ultimate source of joy. You know, God has given us many gifts to enjoy. Uh, He's given us his creation, right? Summer is a great time to appreciate God's creation. That's why we need to go enjoy it. Enjoy these gifts, or else we take our lives a little bit too seriously. Go have fun. Enjoy God's creation. Remember the teacher of Ecclesiastes? He said said this, So I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad, he says. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of their life. God has given them under the sun. So that's the wise teacher of Ecclesiastes. Enjoy your life, but if we try to make God's creation gifts become the ultimate source of joy, then that's when you're left disappointed. And so the Ecclesiastes, the teacher of Ecclesiastes says that too. He says, it's a chasing after the wind. But I wonder how many times we do exactly this in our relationship with God where we are more interested in his creation than God himself, and it's like a garden that's abandoned, where the weeds and the thistles are overgrown. So we have to make sure that God is the ultimate source of our joy. And thus the Psalms invite you to cultivate this relationship that we have with God.
The Psalms also redirect our thoughts to God as the giver of life. Psalm 1 and 45 begins by praising God. And in verse 4, it begins to tell us why. So verse 4, it says, One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty works. Then from verse 8 to 20, it speaks about God's character and abundance. And so listen to the word all here. So let me give you a few of the verses here. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has compassion on all he has made. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. Verse 10, all your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. Verse 13, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and the faithful and faithful in all he does. 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. 17, the Lord is righteous in his ways and faithful in all he does. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon him and to all to all whom call on him in truth. Verse 20, the Lord watches over all who love him. Don't you think that psalmist has been rather intentional here, right? Using this word all. So again and again, the psalmist's point is this. God is truly generous and abundant. Our experience of joy, then, is to be grounded in God's abundance to us. And we have to learn to recognize his abundance, right? So, you know what sin does? Sin tempts us to become complainers who are always consumed by what is lacking. Okay? So, I mean, if you look on the surface of life, there's a lot of things that lack. That's true, right? A lot of things that disappoint. The cost of living... It lacks, right? These are the facts of life. The price of gas, well, that sucks, right? And we could focus on all these negative things, you know, the cost of this going up and down, and it's easy to blame people and blame people on power and even blame God. Um, Political powers, God put them in their place for a reason. But, you know, they disappoint, right? They're human beings. Chasing after sources of temporary joy other than the Lord sucks the joy out of us. So we have, if we have certain expectations about this person or that government or, you know, this product to give you joy, it's just going to disappoint you, right? Because they're not the ultimate source of joy. And so when we chase after these things, it will suck the joy out of you because they disappoint This is why we need the gift of the Psalms of praise and joy, because it cultivates within us the truth of God's abundance. It never runs out, right? He gave you life and breath, all your gifts and talents and abilities to earn a living has everything to do with the abundant generosity of God. And when we focus on that, then we begin to recognize it even more. We go, right, it is so true, right? The psalm teach us to know who God really is. 
He is the giver of life. Now, Thomas Merton explained that when we praise God as we meditate on the Psalms, and I quote him, we can come to know him better, know him better, we love him better, and loving him better, we find our happiness in him. I like that, right? Psalms of praise and joy is the antidote to a complaining spirit because it leads us deeper into God's awesome generosity and his abundance. Complaining and bitterness actually turn us from God, but praise and thanksgiving draws us closer to God. Now, I suggested this earlier. The Psalms of Joy invite us to complete self-abandonment. If the ultimate source of joy comes from God, then the next step is required, right? We can intellectually know that he is the source of joy, but we need by faith to take the plunge into God's joy. Earlier we said praise is giving witness to God for who he is and what he does. And so we give God praise because of his abundant generosity, especially, of course, because of Christ. He is the source of life and salvation. But the Psalms, built into the message of the Psalm, is this sense of self-abandonment, right, to God. And it's about this wholeheartedness of giving ourselves to God in praise, because God is the wellspring of life. So if he's the wellspring of life, to use that imagery, then we need to plunge into it, right? We need to soak ourselves in it through faith. Now, last Sunday, um, we enjoyed a beautiful evening at O'Brien Park, and it was a warm day, and uh, on the way home, Cheryl and I were very thirsty, and we wanted to buy a cold beverage to cool down. But as some of you know, we, we forgot our wallets. So we were, we were driving completely illegally, but that's another point. So we cruised home with, uh, you know, no wallets and to get our wallets at home. And it was five minutes to ten. And tags was just about to close. So I just bombed into the house, grabbed my wallet, went back into the car. And uh, we just bombed back to tags and we were determined to get to our beverage. And we got there, and, and the lights just clicked off. The, the open sign just clicked right off. But the doors were still open. So what did we do? We just walked in anyway, right? Undeterred, we entered the store. We purchased our drinks. They rung, they rung the, the beverages through the till, and they said goodbye, and then they shut the lights and closed the door behind us. We were, of course, the last customers of the day. You know, That might have been the most determined, enthusiastic purchase of our lives. (laughs) Just for some beverage. I couldn't wait for that cold beverage. My point is this. When it comes to worshiping the Lord, we need to have this same enthusiasm for God's presence because he is the ultimate source of your joy. In other words, the Psalms invite you to chase down and get it because it's there, right? God's presence is there for you. 
we need to take this plunge of praise and make it a large part of our lives. And you and I know that's challenging, right? Because all around you is a whole pile of negativity. But the Psalms invite you to this wholehearted praise. Now furthermore, the Psalms teach us that all of God's creation raises its praise, joyful praise to God. The rivers clap their hands and the mountains sing for joy, Psalm 98, 8. Even the sunrise and the sunset ring out with shouts of joy. There was a beautiful sunset last night, right? I was thinking about this. Psalm 96, 11 to 12. The heavens rejoice, the earth is glad, the trees sing and the fields make merry. But wait a minute. Do rivers have hands? Do the trees really sing? Does the sunset actually shout? No. Well, not literally, right? Okay, not literally. So what are the psalmists doing here? The psalms are using anthropomorphic language. Okay? A fancy word all to mean it's human function. Right? Human words used in creation. So obviously God is trying to help us somehow, right? Using human language to help us. Help us understand what all of creation is doing and in retrospect is teaching us what God's people also ought to do. God made the heavens and the earth to give him glory and to declare his praises. And it's like a painter's signature at the bottom of a wonderful piece of art. And all of creation is identifying and proclaiming God as its creator and king. That's what creation is doing. But what does this have to do with us? Well, actually, when you look at creation... The Psalms are reminding us that it actually invites you to join in the praise of his, praises of God just like creation is doing. So when there's thunder and lightning, when there's a beautiful sunset or a sunrise, it's shouting the praises of God and inviting God's people to do the same. So in the Psalms, worship is fully embodied, hearts, voices, arms, hands, feet. So there is shouting, there is bursting, resounding, clapping, crying, exulting, dancing. I mean, this is worship of self-abandonment to God. Because he is so worthy. That's what the Psalms are saying. It is not just our hearts that sing out of stiff bodies, but it is us, including your lungs, your feet, your hands, that participate in worship. Now, of course, 
we know that worship communities throughout the world express their worship of the Lord in different ways. We are not all the same, and I'm glad we're not all the same. We can learn from each other. So dancing and tambourines will probably make us a little bit uncomfortable, okay? Uh, I don't really want to get into that. All I'm saying is what the Psalms are expressing, right? All of who one is in heart and mind and body leaps for joy. And I think the true spirit of the Psalms is really saying all of who you are must be gathered up into the praises of God. Right? Self-abandonment. Wholehearted praise. The psalmist is teaching us, I think, that the praise of God is never half-baked. It's always wholehearted. Joy and thanksgiving to God is expressed with this complete self-abandonment. And by this I mean all of who we are in your worship of Jesus Christ. Speaking of Jesus... Let me close as we, uh, today's Lord's Supper, and it's a wonderful opportunity to remind ourselves why we remember the Lord's death. Jesus came into our broken world for the sake of joy, actually. Think about that. He came for our joy. Now, this might surprise you a little bit because Jesus was often very sorrowful, but he's actually the most joyful person on the planet. Right? And he came that we might share in his joy. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Then this is the part I want to underline here. For the joy set before him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So when you have enduring the cross and joy all in the same sentence, you have to ask, what's that all about? Because you usually don't associate one's death with joy, do you? But Jesus is saying... The whole, he's giving us the whole purpose of why he died, isn't he? Because he knew if he gave his life for the world, he opened a new pathway for people to walk to God and know his joy. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Isn't that awesome? As we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. Let's remember that Jesus' end goal was joy. 
He endured suffering and the cross for the sake of your joy. And in Matthew's gospel, speaking of his bloody death, Jesus said, it is poured out as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. Then he adds this at the very end. He says, mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. What's Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about some kind of sweet banquet fellowship in heaven. And it rings out joy of songs of laughter and joy and fellowship. That's what it speaks to me as, right? That's what it is. Jesus paved the way for your joy when we spend eternity with him. Jesus prayed for his disciples and he prays for all of us that their joy may be complete. Reflecting from the Psalms, Jesus also said this in John 16. He says, you will have pain. So there's the reality part, right? This is the part where Jesus does not ignore reality on earth. You will have pain, but your pain will turn to joy. See the direction he's always moving? Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to every believer. In Galatians 6.22, joy is expressed as one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In other words, in the meantime, before heaven, Jesus also talks about the potential to have joy even in the here and now. Isn't that cool? You know, just as the Psalms begin with lament and ends with praise, the end goal of our lives through Jesus is praise and joy. I give you this verse. One of my favorite verses, actually. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may be overcome or overflow with the hope of the power of the Holy Spirit. When Paul speaks about hope, it reminds us that ultimate eternal joy still lies yet in the future when Jesus returns, right? So we have to understand that we talk about the kingdom of God or eternal life, that it's present, yet it still lies in the future, okay? So this is just a little reminder that complete eternal joy is still yet future, and I'm so glad that we have something to look forward to. Don't you? Right? And all the rough and tumble things of life, we look forward to this ultimate joy. Yes, through the Holy Spirit, we can experience this joy in the here and now, but what we experience in the here and now 
is like a drop in the bucket compared to the joy to come. We have joyful hope, as Paul says. And one day, every tear will just disappear. It's hard to imagine. We still long for this joy. But we rejoice with painful yearning for the sweetness of eternal eternal joy in Jesus Christ. So why don't we just... um, Close our eyes, and uh, we're just going to move right into to the Lord's Supper right away. We're not going to sing a song. Um, and uh, just spend some time meditating about what you heard this morning. And as you come, we'll come this way, and um, someone will serve you a piece of bread, and I'll serve you a cup of juice. And think about Jesus' end goal for you. He died so that you would have his joy. Joy now, but ultimately eternal joy in Jesus. And the Lord's table is open to those who have put their faith in Jesus, who have said, Lord, you are my Lord.